Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Lynn, I don't want to get anyone else fired. <laughs> I mean, I got to think he probably brings in a lot of, you know, eyeballs and earballs, earballs, ears. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, a wave of layoffs decimates the Los Angeles Times newsroom with cuts hitting younger journalists of color especially hard and raising questions about the future coverage of communities of color in Southern California and beyond. The paper's owner, billionaire Dr. Patrick Soon-Shong, said the Times was losing up to $50 million a year, but the move comes two years after he promised a full-scale effort to diversify the newsroom and its coverage of the region's Latino, Black, and AAPI communities. And these layoffs come also just as the 2024 election is heating up, of course, right after members of Congress uh, warned in a letter that the sweeping layoffs will impact the strength of our democracy, not just at the Times, but across the country. We're going to get reaction to all of this, dig into the likely impact on Times coverage, and also what it says about the state of local news coverage generally at a time when more and more people are getting their news from sources like Instagram, Google, Facebook, and TikTok. Joining me today are Gita Anand, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who worked for years as a foreign correspondent for The New York Times and also as an editor at The Wall Street Journal. Today, she's dean of the Journalism School at UC Berkeley. Gita, Welcome. Thank you. And also joining us, Gustavo Arellano. He's a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. He covers Southern California. And for six years at the OC Weekly, he wrote a column called Ask a Mexican. Welcome to you as well, Gustavo. Gracias for having me. Well, let me begin with you, Gustavo. Tell us, you know, how this all came down. What is the mood at the Times? And, you know, what are you hearing from your colleagues and former colleagues? Outrage, funereal, however you say that word. It is uh, just devastation. We are committed to covering California, the West, the country, and beyond. Um, it's far harder when ninety, at least 94 of your colleagues were summarily laid off with their access to their Slack and their emails cut almost instantaneously. It, it you know, just it, the, when you think about a bungled, layoff no layoff is ever going to be pretty but what the you know what the company has done in the past couple of days 
is out of a Benny Hill comedy, except it's not funny. Hmm. How so? I mean, was it uh, the way it came down? Because it, it seems like this is not the first wave of layoffs. There were others, I think, in July of last year. So it couldn't have been a surprise. What did they do wrong in your estimation? Again, uh, you shutting down emails immediately, Slack, not allowing people who have been laid off to come back into the newsroom uh, to say goodbye to their colleagues. There has to be some decency. We knew layoffs were coming. We know the state of the industry. We also know that the LA Times is not a nonprofit. It's a business, and businesses need to make money. And even if you have a billionaire owner at a certain point, uh, people do not like to lose money. Go ask Jeff Bezos at the Washington Post. Go ask other the many, many companies around the country over the past, what, quarter century at a certain point, you cannot lose money anymore, but there has to be decency in these things. And also, we still remain the largest news organization west of the Mississippi, but it impacts our work that much more when you chop off huge sections. Our Washington Bureau is essentially decimated. You've had many photographers laid off, people who have been there, at least a lot of them, more than 20 years. You've had an entire initiative, Delos, which uh, was meant to cover on a very micro level the Latinx community in Southern California and beyond, effectively reduced to editors. How can you possibly truly cover a community and a state at your maximum potential when you get rid of a bunch of people and then kneecap the rest of us. Gita, put this in some context of the larger uh, sort of dynamics in journalism across the country. This is um, just a a devastating blow that is very familiar, unfortunately. Um, Local news uh, around the country has been in decline Uh, for the last few decades, and it seems to be accelerating in recent years. Um, This is just hugely problematic for communities, um, for democracy. If you don't have the reporters at the LA Times and at other local publications covering school board meetings and covering um, zoning board meetings and telling you what's happening in local communities, there's no way for people to go to the polls and vote responsibly. Well, and to hold local officials accountable for things, right? Absolutely. Um, local news, uh, publications like the LA Times are fundamental to holding governments accountable. And as they get decimated, our ability to hold our government to account is in shambles. Gustavo, when this owner came in a few years ago, he did, it seemed from the outside that he was civic minded. He was doing this not because he wanted to make a lot of money, but perhaps because he wanted to be a bigger player in Los Angeles, but also because he thought it was the right thing to do. From where you sit, do you think that, was that an accurate reflection of what happened? Or was it really, um, you know, the intention to sort of uh, just kind of squeeze money out of it as opposed to just like uh, uh, stopping the bleeding, as he says he's doing right now? I'm not going to speak on behalf of Dr. Soon Shang because I have no authority to do so. I will say that he did hire... uh, when After he bought the paper in 2000, I believe it was end of 2017 into 2018, he did hire a bunch of people. I was one of those people. I joined the LA Times at the very end of 2018 after spending most of my career at a newspaper that no 
under exists called the OC Weekly. The pandemic then comes sh shortly after in 2020. All newspapers were devastated by that. So he did put that investment. He did put that initial investment. During 2020, he also made promises, uh, Dr. Sun Xiang, that we would have at least a quarter of the news staff be Latino. As a reminder, uh, Los Angeles County is almost 50% Latino. Uh, the city of Los Angeles is almost 50% Latino. All the Latino caucus, of which I was a co-chair of once, all we were asking for is a quarter of the staff to be Latino. We're currently, before these layoffs, we're at 20%. Who knows where we're at now? Um, so there was a lot of promises made. There was a lot of investment made, and that's what befuddles us. Why turn back the clock? Again, we understand that we are facing incredible times in terms of financial duress for all news industries and most industries, period. But you, you don't reach promises by laying people off. You don't improve a community, a coverage of a community by laying people off. And you sure don't uh, you know, improve the morale of those who remain by the way you treated our former colleagues, especially by laying them off. Gita, uh, I believe it was last year, the legislature and Governor Newsom approved, maybe it was the year before, $25 million for journalism grants for local reporting. And I believe your school, the J School at UC Berkeley, is involved with that. What impact uh, has that had? Because obviously, uh, you know, all news organizations are squeezed, and this is public money going to help augment the coverage of, uh, of local news. Um, yes, um, we were thrilled to receive $25 million in state funding to create a local news fellowship program. We've sent 40 early career journalists, many of them are graduates, out into local newsrooms around the state of California. This is hugely important for helping support reporting in communities, particularly historically underserved communities, news deserts. Um, over the next couple of years, we'll be sending 80 more early career journalists out around the state to cover local news. So as uh, publications like the LA Times suffer from layoffs and as you know, far smaller publications have laid off staff and have often no reporters at all, having our graduates able to cover a small part of these communities is vital. It's not solving the problem. It's just beginning to solve the, it's one step in the direction of hope for local news in California. And, and unfortunately there is some possibility at least with the state facing a large uh, budget deficit of tens of billions of dollars that that funding could be in jeopardy. I think it was a three-year grant, right? Sure, it's a three-year grant. So every year we send out 40 fellows for two years. Um, you know, we, we've heard rumors that the funding may be in jeopardy, but we don't know if it's true. All right. We are going to continue our conversation about the layoffs today at the Los Angeles Times, and uh, we hope you'll stay with us. We're going to take a short break and then continue this conversation with Gita Anand and Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We're talking today about the latest round of deep cuts at the Los Angeles Times. More than 100 journalists have found out that they're out of a job. That's about a quarter of the Times newsroom. We're talking with Gita Anand, dean of the journalism school at UC Berkeley, and LA Times columnist Gustavo Arellano. Gustavo, if you would pick up where Gita left off just before the break, um, uh, there are other kinds of models in journalism, nonprofit models like, for example, ProPublica. And I'm just wondering if the L.A. Times has a relationship with groups like that, which could perhaps, you know, augment the coverage or at least mitigate the damage done by layoffs like this. I know we have positions funded by grants. We have had uh, whole initiatives funded by grants in the past, but I'm a mere lowly columnist. I am not an editor, so I can't speak too much about that. I would say, though, at this point, any and every which way to fund journalism do it, especially for the public. There's newsletters, people who have solitary newsletters. I have my own personal newsletter, but that's just, you know, basically uh, my own diary. But there's people who are covering entire swaths of the state just doing by, by their own personal newsletter. Back in the 2000s, we used to call them blogs. Now they're newsletters or substacks or whatever. There is a nonprofit model here in Orange County. You have the Voice of OC, which is literally a collection of, geez, what, maybe five or six people covering a county of three point two million. And we all know how sorted the politics are in Orange County. Uh, you also have national organizations who see California. Hey, it's a big state. It's kind of basically a news desert. Let's start uh, putting in resources. New York Times has their own California newsletter. Wall Street Journal has long had correspondents out here in California. The Guardian, the British newspaper, they have a, a Los Angeles correspondent here. So California is so rich in stories. The problem has always been how are you able to fund them? How can you make them you know, these efforts profitable? And then how do you make the community care enough to want to read these things to make you sustainable? Gita, I'm wondering, I don't know if you can respond to this, but, um, you know, in addition to what Gustavo just said, there, like an organization like Politico is expanding enormously here in uh, in California, in Sacramento and elsewhere. They were one of the sponsors of the uh, debate, the Senate debate uh, earlier this week. What is it that they are able to do or what do they know or what is it about their model that enables them to grow while other legacy media like the LA Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, and many, many others have had to lay off people. Different organizations are growing for different reasons. Uh, ProPublica has been growing with its nonprofit model. Um, I think that's a viable model, but we're not going to see a one-size-fits-all solution to the dying out of local news. Um, I think we're going to need a variety of um, responses from private philanthropy, which um, publications like ProPublica and others rely on, um, to government funding, 
to the private for-profit model. Um, we still haven't figured out what the solution is. Um, different ones of them, you know, are thriving right now, but it seems like there's ebbs and flows. Um, you just can't be sure where the funding is going to come from. And none of them are solving for the decline in the in local news, which and, and in the advertising model, which is what the LA Times is experiencing right now. I wonder uh, what you think, both of you, starting with you, Gustavo, about an effort in Sacramento. It didn't get very far last year, but Buffy Wicks, uh, assemblywoman from the East Bay, uh, had a bill, AB 886, to require Google, Meta, uh, Microsoft, who use stories, who thrive on stories from the LA Times and every news outlet, uh, to, to force them to pay for that content. It died last session uh, in part because Google, I think, spent over a million dollars to kill it. But Gustavo, starting with you, do you think there is some Something in that effort that could be a positive, um, you know, a help for publications like the Times going forward. Well, yeah, money. Uh, that's what seems to be the yearning of all these publications, but it doesn't solve the problem. I mean, that, that's just a that's just a bandage to the wound. That is, how do you solve something that's sustainable? At a certain point, you have to figure out a way where you do it on your own and not be, and, you know, here's a rancho libertarian in me and not be begging the government to come and help you. You have to, if you cannot solve it on your own, you do not have the right people in charge of the organization. Government can only help you so much and really government shouldn't be helping you at all for, to solve this in journalism. What would the solution look like though for a, for a publication like the Times? Oh, I, I'm not the editor. Um, <laughs> I am not any sort of editor. If, but if I were to be asked, how do you make something sustainable? It's a combination of things. You have to put yourself out there in the community. Like I'm thinking Socalo Public Square down here, uh, which is the effort. Uh, well, it's across the state, but they're based in Los Angeles in the old Herald Examiner building, an old uh, newspaper that no longer exists, where they do a mix of community events that do get grants and do make money and what so. You have to incentivize um you know, partnerships with the community to, and, and I think also you have to focus on what is, who is your audience. The reason political has worked, and I, I'm a subscriber to political, I subscribe to their uh, uh, morning newsletter, is that they know who their target audience is. It is people who care about politics in California. And guess what? That's not just people in California and that's not just politicians. So all the, any organization, any individual who wants to make money or wants to be something sustainable, you have to start with that. If you do not know who you are, of course you're going to fail. Of course, it's, it's inevitable. Guido, what would you add to that? Because one of the things ProPublica does is they, you know, you can access it for free, but they also have a paywall called, uh, I think it's Pro uh, Pro Politico, where they go into depth on things and they get money from agencies, government agencies and others who really want to go deep on issues like, you know, the environment and the oil industry and energy and all those things. Is that something that could be applicable to other publications? I think those um, those models could be applicable to other publications. Uh, the the main uh, thing I get out of that is just the need to innovate. We have to just figure out a variety of models. I wanted to talk a little about Buffy Wicks's initiative. Um, I applaud it. Um, clearly, trying to find additional sources of revenue and from um, the social media giants. Um, is a good idea. The devil's in the details. So there's a lot of um, things that have to be worked out and may not have made sense in the initial bill. Um, but I think that that government with with enough of a buffer, so 
that government can't be telling reporters uh, what to write uh, is one viable model. But we need many models. Gustavo, um, I don't know if you can answer this either, but as a member uh, of the union, maybe you can. It's my understanding that the agreement that the union had with the paper uh, had sort of a, you know, last hired, first fired clause, which of course disproportionately affected younger journalists and who happened, many of them happened to be journalists of color. Is that correct? No, absolutely. That's how it was. And management came to us and said, if this one time for these layoffs, you got the seniority clause to give us more of a uh, option in terms of who we get to pick for layoff, then there'll be less layoffs. Well, all the caucuses, the Latino caucus, the AAPI caucus, the MENASA, Middle Eastern, North Africa, South Asian caucus, and I believe the LGBTQ caucus as well, they all rejected that because they saw, I mean, you know, what do you call it? Seniority is a bedrock of any, the protection of seniority is a bedrock of any union. That said, because of that, this is what management's saying, because they didn't have that option. Therefore, they had to target like the people are getting laid off are people of color, mostly disproportionately. Of course, so the contract that we had also said that the uh, that management was able to, on their own discretion, give layoffs to people right off the bat, but they chose not to. Yeah. And Gita, or rather buyouts. Sorry, my, my apologies. Buyouts. Buyout offers. Yeah. Uh, Gita, um, we are, of course, in a, in a hugely important presidential election year and congressional elections and everything else. As Gustavo said, their D.C. bureau was pretty much gutted. What do you see as the impact of all of this, not just what's happening at The Times today, but at other journalism outlets in terms of this election and what difference it is? I mean, obviously, it's a very important time for voters and others to know what's going on. What uh, what impact could this have on that? I mean, we we realized increasingly that who the journalists are matters, um, that having um, a journalism um, cohort or the people who are journalists not be representative of this country is a huge problem because we all see the world through the prism of our lived experiences. And so we miss stories because we're not diverse enough. We did not fully appreciate um, just how devastating the experience was for people of color um, in policing, um, as victims of policing, until George Floyd's murder, really, until a teenager on a street corner recorded it on her phone. Um, so losing so many journalists of color at the LA Times, like losing the most recent hires who are the most diverse, will really affect how uh, the presidential election is covered. We will miss stories. We won't be able to cover issues fully. We'll not understand the implications deeply and be able to reflect that in stories um, because of this. And then, of course, just generally, um, the decimation of local news will have very specific impacts on coverage. There'll be less local stories about how what the presidential candidates are talking about would play out at a local level. Less people, less reporters understanding the sharing the impact of policy proposals on local communities. Well, a very dark day indeed for journalism and for all of us who rely on good journalism. I want to thank you both so much, Gita Anand, Dean of the Journalism School at UC Berkeley and LA Times columnist Gustavo Arellano. Thank you both so much. 
Gracias. Thank you. That is a wrap for Wednesday, January 24th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.